0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
1: My guest today is Kevin Cox, the Program Manager for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Homeland Security Department and Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Kevin, always a pleasure to have you on.
2: Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you, Jason.
1: As many people know by now, you are leaving as the CDM program manager. You've been there. I went back. I couldn't quite find the exact date, but I think at least since 2017. So we're pushing for maybe five years. The program has evolved. Did I get that right, 2017, or did you come on board before then?
2: Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, came in in uh, January of 2017.
1: When you got there, I remember CDM was in, in a much different place than it is today. Let's just go through this as a little bit of 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 an evolution. How has the program evolved from when you got there in 2017 to today in 2021?
2: When I was coming in, the the team had made real progress in terms of working with all of the agencies across the CFO Act agencies, the cabinet level agencies, and and starting to build the relationships with the non-CFO Act agencies. So that was a critical piece to really being able to continue. Forward and, and they they had solid relationships with each of the agencies. There were some things that we had to work through, certainly, but but the having those relationships really was was the foundation to, to continuing to build on the successes that we had and and really help achieve more. In addition, the team had worked with GSA to establish a series of system integration contracts. And the first one was relating to asset management. So across the agencies that we were working with, we had made really strong progress in getting the foundational technologies in place to help agencies understand all of their assets and then really lay the groundwork for getting that information up to the federal dashboard. We also had started the identity and access uh, work, too, to help agencies Uh, get an understanding uh, of all their credentialed users, uh, as well as all of their privileged users. And then we had uh, a contract in place to support the deployment of uh, an agency dashboard at each agency and the federal dashboard that would take summary feeds up from the agencies. Now, what we found was The way those contracts were set up, they were designed to really be dedicated to that one specific capability. So we had one contract for asset management, one for identity and access in support of all the agencies, and one for dashboard. The other thing I wanted to mention is the the contracts themselves were shorter in, in terms of lifespan than probably was needed to be successful in the federal government. So their, the asset management was at a three-year period of performance, and identity and access was two years. All of that uh, being said, uh, it lays the groundwork for some, some changes that we uh, have instituted uh, to really help the program uh, be able to support the agencies uh, more fully and, and be able to really expand out the, the different technologies and capabilities that, that we're able to offer. So as the period of performance of those contracts was coming to an end, we designed out the, the new defend acquisition approach where the contract itself working with the system integrators was now a much broader set of requirements. It no longer was one specific capability. It could support any of the, the CDM capabilities, could support uh, any of the technological deployments that we needed to do. They also had much higher ceilings, so we weren't going to be limited in terms of uh, the amount of money we could put on the contracts for the the many agencies we were supporting. Uh, they had much longer runways, so we had base plus five. And it, it gave us a lot of flexibility in terms of the, the way that we provided technical direction uh, to these system integrators, so we could ask the system integrators to support us on uh, continuing the asset management gap fill the credential management gap fill but also begin to start things like uh, cloud uh, security uh, pilots and and deployment of things like network access control so the acquisition approach was was a real critical change for us just in terms of being able to open up everything that we could do with cDM The other thing is that uh, what we found with the dashboard contract and, and the dashboard itself was Technology was good, Uh, the technology we were deploying was really a a governance, risk, and compliance platform. But what we learned was when we're dealing with these large federated agencies with a lot of data, first and foremost, we needed to get a big data platform in place. Uh, And so is that dashboard, contract was coming to end of period of performance, we really took a close look at our dashboard requirements and, and again, wanted to make sure that we had maximum flexibility for the long runways uh, in terms of years and, and the ability to really be able to add new technologies as they became available and, and make adjustments to the threat as, as the threat changed. So when we competed at, the, based on those requirements, we awarded to a big data platform so we've been working to get that new dashboard in place, have made great strides this year, getting the, the new dashboard out to the agencies and are in, in the process now of starting to take the feeds up from the agencies. So all of those changes really have expanded out what CDN can do is uh, help us achieve uh, some really critical successes. And now all we need to do is just continue that work, get the data up to the federal dashboard and really lean in to make sure that we have Good data quality throughout the whole system uh, or set of systems, uh, and and really make sure that the agencies are getting the value as well as federal leadership.
1: There's a couple things there that, that I want to kind of back up on. The the first is is important is when you walked in and and you know now we can look back four and a half years later, we can say wow you really had that all, all the all your ducks in a row. You put everything in place and and look at, look how everything worked out. Were there times and that were you surprised how well this has worked out? Did you have this plan in place from the beginning? Or when I say you, I meant your organization, the program management office, of course, or or did the pieces just kind of start to fall into place one by one and you saw, you saw the breadcrumbs and followed them, if you will?
2: A mix of both. Part of it was there was a natural point where we were able to make changes with the end of the period of performance of the contracts themselves. So Anytime you reach that and you're moving on to the next contract, it gives you an opportunity to step back, look at your lessons learned, and say, hey, this wasn't working so well. We really need to achieve this. How do we do that? And it, it gives you a chance to, to really figure out what your, your broader requirements are, what requirements you need to change, and then compete that and, and get the new contract in place. So part of it was just that natural progression contractually. but Beyond the contract piece, we also, as I mentioned at, at the top, was we had the relations built with the, the agencies, and so we, we wanted to work with the agencies closely and understand what was working for them, what helped them more, and be able to uh, adjust to that and, and make sure that as we were competing these new contracts, that we were taking into account the agency perspective and, and really being responsive to that. So we built into the contracts the ability for agencies to provide feedback on how things were going. We enabled the agencies to be able to utilize the contracts themselves, uh, be able to essentially treat them as as a vehicle that they could uh, build out work on uh, beyond just uh, CISA placing uh, funding on, and then being able to make adjustments to the the dynamic of the agency as things changed so there were some obvious things that we needed to change but with that step back with building out a new contract there were there was an opportunity to reflect on what could make things better what could take us to that next level and so it was really back to your question a, a combination of the two where there was some things that, that were loud and clear that we needed to, to adjust. And then there were other things that we really had some new ideas. The agencies had some new ideas, and, and we built those in. And they, they've been really successful in terms of giving us a, a broader set of opportunities to, to deploy to support the needs of the agencies in our deployments.
1: It's always interesting when you look back on a program like this, and especially as your time is ending in managing the program, the CDM obviously will continue along, how things kind of came together. Kevin, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Kevin Cox, the outgoing program manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Kevin Cox, the outgoing program manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. I know uh, there's a lot of progress, so let's start there. Where are we today with CDM? Maybe start with a dashboard. I know that's the question everyone seems to always ask you, and then we'll get to some of the other pieces and parts.
2: With the dashboard, as mentioned, we had to make a a big change in terms of how the program as well as we, CISA and DHS, originally approached it. Uh, The original vision with the dashboard was that with a broader governance, risk, and compliance product, you could align with the governance, risk, and compliance, otherwise known as GRC tools that the agencies had and really pull in the CDM data and and map it against how the agencies track their systems and overall risk. But technologically, we first and foremost needed a platform to collect all the data that was coming in and and a platform that could scale, a platform that was uh, maximally flexible and, and as needed customizable. So with that uh getting to the new elastic uh platform has really been an important uh step for the program because it really lays the groundwork for a lot of new things that we can do in the future including supporting new technologies supporting uh, a greater amount of data uh being able to support more operational functions in terms of helping the agencies to manage their risk, understand their security threats, et cetera. The new dashboard deployed to 13 agencies. We're aiming to have the new dashboard in place at all of the agencies by the end of this fiscal year. Included in that is the deployment of a new service working to to bring on a few agencies to our dashboard as a service. So essentially, CISA will manage the back-end dashboard for the agencies. They don't have to build it up themselves and then we just work with them on the data feeds. So we're gonna have a few agencies uh, that we're going to be working with onboarding uh, to that new service over the next few months. One of the things I haven't mentioned yet is the shared service platform that we deployed for about 40 of the non-CFO Act agencies. The non-CFO Act agencies, uh, there are a a number of small and micro agencies uh, in that population, and so Rather than work to deploy an individual dashboard to each of those smaller agencies and then put the burden on them to manage uh, the individual dashboard, we built out a a shared service where their data, similar to the dashboard, is a service that we're we're offering to the CFO Act agencies now. The shared service platform enables the agencies to feed their data to this shared environment. Uh, The environment is scalable, flexible. Uh, It's multi-tenant, so each agency sees only their data. They don't see the whole population. So that was a success to get that in place. We're in the process now of bringing in version 2.0 of that uh, later this summer around the July timeframe to support a wider number of agencies, support a wider number of CDM capabilities, and really continue to build our offerings for all of the agencies across the federal civilian executive branch. So with the small agencies reporting to the shared service platform, we'll be able to capture uh, their summary data and feed it up to the federal dashboard from that single platform rather than having to work one by one uh, with individual dashboards and, and grab that data. So with the new dashboard, with the new dashboards as a service for the CFO Act agencies and with that new environment for the shared uh, or the new shared service offering for the non-CFO Act agencies, We've really been able to expand out our offerings, expand out the ability to take in greater volumes of data, and at the end of the day, to operationalize it to make it valuable to the agencies and to federal leadership.
1: The dashboard as a service and then the shared service, it sounds very similar. Are, are they one-offs, if you will, meaning that the bigger agencies need maybe different capabilities or big, more capabilities in the smaller agencies? So you kind of built on, or are they two kind of separate offerings?
2: The shared service platform for the non-CFO Act agencies was our first, the CDM program's first venture into the cloud. So with it, we established a, a single platform that, again, enabled the the non-CFO Act agencies to, to point their data feeds to this environment, access it individually in a, in a multi-tenant way, and then really get, get the full value of the reporting without having to worry about the management of, of their own dashboard. Uh, well, we, we kept that idea for the non-CFO Act agencies as we built out version 2.0, but we also took the idea to say, okay, if we could offer something similar uh, to the CFO Act agencies, because in, in many ways, the CFO Act agencies have as many burdens, uh, just a a wider array of them and a lot of additional priorities, too, uh, that they running their own dashboard was maybe not going to be as effective versus if they could simply access and as a service and and rely on uh, the CDM organization to manage it that it would take take one less burden off of that, that agency to, to worry, and, and then they'd still get the value of the dashboard. So the dashboard as a service for the CFO Act agencies came about as, in relation to what we were already doing with the, the shared service platform for the smaller agencies, but also looking at the specific needs. So the architecture is a little different than what we're offering to the, the smaller agencies, so we, we're making adjustments technically uh, to be able to meet the specific requirements of these larger agencies. But I, I think to your question, all in the same spirit of being able to offer a service to the agencies uh, with, without uh, putting um, the burden on them to build it out and manage it over the long run for themselves. So. We'll we'll move forward with that. We'll make adjustments as we go along. But but, uh, based on what we're seeing, we're moving on the right path to make all of those as a service offerings work the way they should.
1: One last thing about the dashboard, but then I want to move on quickly. But uh, is the dashboard as a service and the shared service CDM through through the money that Congress has appropriated is paying for it, at least initially? Is that correct?
2: That's correct. That's a good pickup. One of the other important things with the as-a-service offering is that it takes that burden off of the agency to uh, maintain their their own dashboard. You get efficiencies by managing a smaller number of environments, too, and so we're able to pass those savings on to the agencies that choose to use the as-a-service offering going forward.
1: A couple other things that that you've talked about over the years is Initially, with a lot of the defend contracts, you're focused on the gap fills, and then at the same time in parallel, you're also focused on new capabilities. For the most part, and I know we don't talk CDM in phases anymore, but for the most part, are, are those gap fills filled, and are there new capabilities also being now added? Where are we with some of the other pieces and parts beyond the dashboard?
2: So when the program did start, we were operating on the idea that there were going to be three stage phases. So first phase was the Deploy asset management capabilities out to all the agencies, help the agencies understand everything that's connected to their networks. And then the second phase was identity and access, helping agencies understand who their users were that were accessing the networks. And then finally, with network security management, it was helping agencies understand what they had connected to their network, what their boundaries looked like, just overall protection of their network. And what we realized was that when CDM started, some of the timelines originally envisioned were much more aggressive than, than could be achieved when, when you're dealing with one of the largest organizations in the world, which is the, the Federal Civilian Executive Branch, and really uh, being able to account for all the differences within each of the mission spaces, within each of the organizations, some, some organizations being very federated with different mission spaces that have their own budget, have their own uh, ability to provide their own direction. And so we needed to be able to uh, adjust to that, make adjustments on the timelines, uh, but also recognize that there were a broader set of capabilities that we needed to deploy that would be able to do more for the agencies than what may have originally been envisioned for the program. So. As we were doing the contracts and and kind of the way forward, we changed from the nomenclature of of phases to to capabilities. We recognized that we needed uh, additional time, as you mentioned, to fill the gaps with asset management, fill gaps on the user side as well. But we didn't want there to be a sense that we weren't going to be as aggressive in, in pushing forward to get these things done as quickly as possible. So, with these new capabilities and and in the mix of all this, following the the OPM breach around 2016, we also added in a fourth capability, which is data protection management, which was in support of the the high-value assets that the agencies have and ensuring that the data is protected. We have worked to really lean in uh, with asset management. We are uh, nearing uh, the initial kind of wrap up of, of helping agencies get the broader understanding of all of their assets. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean the asset management work is complete because there's still going to be a need to ensure good data quality with all the sensors, making sure that agencies have good visibility of their, their vulnerability scanning, their their configurations of their system. So there's always going to be a, a level of agencies and even our program supporting the continued adjustments that agencies see on a regular basis with their assets. One in particular is as as agencies move from the on-premise to the cloud, just being able to make sure that we are able to continue to support the agencies in capturing that information. Likewise, with identity and access, that we wanted to make sure that uh, agencies did fully get the privileged access management capability in place, but also we, we recognized that there were broader needs beyond just like a compliance understanding of who your, your users are to really getting operational capabilities in place for identity, like identity lifecycle management, helping agencies understand uh, a user from the day they start, what they have access to, what they gain access to, to the day they depart the organization. And so we're, we're working with agencies on the deployment of, of newer technologies than what were originally envisioned for the program. And then with just shifting over to network security management, beyond cloud, beyond mobile, uh, being able to support things uh, on the network, we have been working closely with our compatriots within CISA, the the teams from from the TIC side of the house, the Trusted Internet Connection, the the teams from the National Cybersecurity Protection System, which supports the Einstein deployments to look at how CDM can support the evolution in the thinking for TIC, for National Cybersecurity Protection System, and see if there were additional things that could be done at the endpoint. So one of the things that we're currently focused on, it's it was there's some funding included in the American Recovery Act tied to the COVID stimulus, and then the executive order that was just published yesterday. A need to support agencies in getting endpoint threat detection and response capabilities out to their endpoint. And so something that CDM could have supported at the start uh, in terms of the broad set of possibilities is now something that is going to be front and center for the program because with the acquisition approach we have in place that gives us the flexibility, we can work with our teams within CISA, we can work with the agencies, we can work with the industry community Uh, to figure out the right way forward uh, to get the EDR, endpoint detection and response capabilities deployed, get that visibility for the agencies, and and help support federal leadership's understanding of really what the the overall federal threat landscape looks like so that we can get in front of our adversaries and, and prevent them from Uh, being able to get on our networks and disrupt or, or exfiltrate data. So that's an example of where we've been able to make adjustments. We've been able to emphasize newer approaches, newer technologies than what we originally started out with as a program.
1: Kevin, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Kevin Cox, the outgoing program manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Kevin Cox, the outgoing program manager of the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. When you look back at, at CDM, what are you most proud of and what do you wish you would have made more progress on?
2: Yeah, the the thing I'm most proud of is the the real strength of the team. We have a, a great team, great people that have been really instrumental in terms of building out the relationships, as I, I mentioned earlier, with the agencies being there to, to support the agencies, understand what their needs were, be able to make adjustments. And that has been absolutely critical to the success of the program. Uh, if, if we can't build strong relationships with the agencies and, and can't make adjustments to, to the needs on the ground, CDM would, would not be able to be successful. Likewise, the, the other piece is that beyond the relationship with the agencies is we have to have strong relationships with industry. And, and so even though we have uh, we, we work closely with GSA, they're, they're our partner in terms of the on the contract side. Uh, but even though we work contractually with the system integrators and with the vendors and, and we have the professional lines that are drawn in terms of of those interactions and those relationships, we we do work closely with industry to understand uh, beyond maybe what we see on a day- to- day basis, within the federal government to help us help inform us in terms of what they're seeing on the industry side and, and what they're seeing uh, in terms of the way technology is, is evolving and, and how the threat is evolving. And, and so being able to bring in that perspective and inform those relationships, and, and a lot of it across, all the, across the board here is about trust, building up the trust with the agencies, building up the trust with industry, that we're, we're all working this problem together. This is about uh, defending uh, our, our critical assets uh, that support our citizens, our taxpayers. And so you're really working uh, with these teams of folks that are as dedicated to the mission as, as we are in the, the program management office. And, and that's really been uh, a stellar experience for me to work with with this, the teams, the people that are as dedicated to this program program as, as we need to be. And folks that are willing to make sacrifices and, and do even more, it's it's really what I consider to be the, the real true uh, heart and soul of the program and, and the, the true success of the program.
1: And the other part of that question was, what do you wish you would, maybe, would have made more progress on?
2: Looking back, I wish that we had been able to make, and, and I, I put this on me, just being able to see where we were headed with the dashboard. And if we could have made an adjustment sooner, uh, it would have been a hard situation to do. We would have had to change up contracts midstream, et cetera. But if we could have made, made that change earlier in terms of recognizing that with the volume of data coming in, and, and it could be coming in in the future, we really needed to get to a big data platform. If we had made that change earlier, we would have been further along in terms of the the data flows further along in terms of the, the reporting that the agencies would have through their dashboards and, and we at the federal dashboard, but that's hindsight. I mean, that do what you can, you, you make the adjustments you can and, and that you're aware of at the time. But I, I do think if we could have uh, gotten that big data platform in place sooner, we would have been able to do much more and more quickly. So I would just put that out there.
1: And, and then finally, last question is, you have a new job at the justice department, deputy CIO. What's the big lesson you're going to take from CDM as you kind of go into that new role at, ju- at the justice department? What, what's the, you know, you're going to go from somebody who's implementing CDM that now has to use CDM, so to speak, or someone who has to take advantage of CDM through the justice department. What's, what's the big lesson you're taking from this experience? Because not everyone gets to manage a government wide program, especially one that's well-funded, well-liked, has some struggles, but, but it seems to have overcome them. The, the, again, what's the big lesson?
2: Well, I'll go back to the importance of, of building the strong relationships. I I've, I was at Justice before. They, too, have a great team, and I, I look forward to being able to continue to work with a lot of the folks I had when I was there before. It's really a great environment. And, and again, being able to work with folks that are, are that focused on mission and really being able to support the real goals of the government to support our citizens, That's that really uh, is, is top-notch. In terms of my perspective, well, what I'm going to be bringing back is now a wider understanding of, of how the federal government works, at least on the civilian side, understand what we can do in terms of working with our other civilian agency partners, looking to build relationships out there, but also just being able to take bring that perspective in, looking at the, the the federated nature of within justice and all their different mission sets, and looking at how we can, through 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 the relationship building, through the trust, in in looking at, at the the needs to support the mission, that we can bring new ideas, uh, push to get the the appropriate funding uh, to support those ideas to help uh, the mission uh, go even further and, and help the mission achieve its, its objectives. So. The ability uh, to really look at the broader technology, not just on a security standpoint, but from a, a broader cloud and, and mobile and uh, broader information technology standpoint, that that really, I think that that will help me be able to provide greater uh, value uh, in what I uh, we'll set out to do supporting Justice and its, its mission sets and mission partners.
1: Well, if, if the work on CDM is any precursor, we know you'll be successful back at Justice. Uh, Kevin, uh, I know we're done. Uh, we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Uh, Kevin Cox is the program manager for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program in the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Kevin, I always enjoyed our interactions. I always appreciated all your time and all your patience. So thank you for your service to DHS and good luck at Justice.
2: Thank you, Jason. Likewise, I always enjoyed uh, our conversations and really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you.
1: We have to take a break. When we come back in the next segment, we switch gears a little and hear from the Justice Department about cybersecurity. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
3: When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission.
1: Welcome back, you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this final segment of the show, I play an excerpt of a panel from the Justice Department's Cyber Symposium, where Justice Chief Information Officer Melinda Rogers talks with John Demers, the Assistant Attorney General for National Security.
0: National security threats continue to pose consequences, severe consequences to the federal government, U.S. companies and individuals. It harms the economy, security of our government and society at large. As a result, certainly we can appreciate securing the nation's intelligence, military infrastructure. It's a top priority for federal agencies. How important are interagency collaborations when it comes to confronting cyber threats?
3: Critically important. I mean, the way our government is organized, every agency has unique tools it can bring to the table, whether it's on the intelligence community side, especially NSA, its knowledge and its ability to see What's happening you know mainly outside the. US, whether it's, of course, you know working very closely as the Bureau does with CISA at DHS, the responsibilities, the authorities that they have to work with the private sector, in particular on securing uh, their networks, responding, remediating. Obviously, the Bureau has investigative authorities domestically that nobody else has that we've talked a little bit about here, the ability to subpoena, the ability to use search warrants, do the investigation, find out what the scope of the harm is, working with CISA, doing the notifications, that then um, will enable these companies working in part with the private, other parts of the private sector and the government to respond and remediate whatever the vulnerability was, the intrusion was, and then of course to do the indictments. And in the case of this most recent uh, operation to even remove uh, malware from, from some servers, And then, you know, you can just sort of go across. Treasury has sanctioning authority. The Commerce Department does as well. The whole scope of the government's efforts, which are needed to respond to individual hacks, as I said, but also because ultimately when we need to impose costs on the hackers or costs on the countries that these hackers are operating in, or even more than operating in, operating on behalf of the governments of those countries, that takes the full suite of sort of government tools that needs to be coordinated uh, and rolled out by the interagency. So, for instance, one sort of new tool that we're looking at using now to safeguard the supply chain, this is what we've seen recently, although it's not it's not new as a problem, but is a series of supply chain hacks where the real interest, of course, is not hacking into that software provider, but in hacking into all of the customers of that software provider, or you can have other hardware, supply chain hacks, et cetera. There was a new executive order that was signed just about a year and a half ago. The focus then was thought to be on supply chain coming out of China and securing the supply chain there, but it can be used against a variety of countries. And so with respect to the SolarWinds hack, which came from Russia, We've launched a, a review here together with the FBI and the intelligence community to see where there may be supply chain vulnerabilities of companies that are either actual Russian companies or doing business in Russia or have some operations in Russia. Not again, not meant punitively here, but meant protectively, right? So where there's a critical sort of pieces of software, if there's back-end software design and coding being done, in a country where we know that they've used um, sophisticated cyber means to uh, do intrusions into U.S. companies, then maybe that U.S. companies shouldn't be doing work with those companies from Russia or from other untrusted countries. So that's something that we're gonna be looking closely at. Again, that's a tool that we uh, initiate this investigation on, but then we really pass the information over to the Commerce Department to see whether and how to actually use the tool under the executive order. So I just use that as as an example of how important it is for all the parts of the government to be working together on this issue. And I think we've certainly seen that uh, recently in response to the SolarWinds hack, in response to the Hafnium hack. We've seen the government as a whole through the National Security Council and then just Uh, one-on-one, where appropriate, sort of, working together uh, to respond and then to think about how to impose costs on these actors in a way that will deter and and change their future behavior.
0: Thank you, John. So given all that you mentioned, what are some of the top priorities for U.S. national security as it pertains to cybersecurity? Where should we be dedicating our resources? And for those companies that are out there as well, uh, where should we be focusing our attention?
3: Sure. So in the department, we, you know, the deputy attorney general has launched two cyber initiatives. As you, and you can see this is going to be, I think, a significant sort of priority issue for the department going forward. It already has been, but I think there's it, it's being energized again. And so one is a ransomware task force. So ransomware has gotten consistently worse and worse. And a lot of uh, it, it's You know, quite lucrative. And then another is sort of just a broad cybersecurity review that she's launched across the department. And that involves everything, as you know from your office, sort of how how do we as a department defend ourselves um, from these attacks? We have a lot of, I I think we do certainly a very good job on the classified side, but there's a lot of very sensitive investigative information that gets passed on unclassified systems. And, you know, how do we best uh, protect that against? intrusions and but then broader than that how are we using all these different tools to combat these cyber intrusions i think one of the big you know things that we all need to acknowledge is on the resiliency side and, and really work on that because as much as we do to deter behavior to punish behavior to harden our defenses to get better insight into what's happening on our networks there are some very sophisticated and persistent cyber actors who are going to get in to many, many networks. And the question then becomes, what what are you gonna do then? What kind of backup data do you have if, for instance, you suffer from a ransomware attack, right? How do you segregate your data on a network so that if an actor gets into one part of your network, it doesn't mean that they necessarily get into all the parts of the network and in particular, you know, think very carefully, very um, precisely about what the most sensitive information, if you're a company, what, what's really the most sensitive intellectual property information that you have? What's the most sensitive personal uh, information you have about your customers, your patients, um, your employees, right? And making sure that that is protected So that you're also sort of protecting yourself, obviously, in a smart way that doesn't hamper your ability to do business. But for the stuff that's really the crown jewels of your company, you know, really putting some thought into what that is and and whether it's protected and whether you have backups, especially with ransomware, But whether you have backups um, for uh, that data. So to give you an example, on the election security side is something that we worked very hard at over the last few years uh, because of what happened back in 2016. So much focus that was done by DHS on helping state and local governments actually run the election have backup system, have paper ballot backups in case somebody gets into a, into a digital system so think about all of the sort of the resiliency ways and that will help you um, if the intrusion does occur because we're not going to get the intrusions to zero, and so it has to really be that holistic approach of minimizing. The intrusions and minimizing the impact of the intrusion and thinking about how you are going to bounce back.
0: There's the old adage that goes, either you know you've been hacked or you don't know you've been hacked. Given recent events, what advice can you leave uh, the IT and cybersecurity professionals we have in our audience here today to combat existing and emerging threats?
3: First of all, yes, either you know you've been hacked or you don't know that you've been hacked. It is a lot better to know that you've been hacked, right because once you know you, you've been hacked, you can start to fix the problem when you don't know you're hacked and that uh, intrusion that they sort of have persistent uh, access to your networks they can do worse and worse damage and they can move from parts of the network to other parts of the network um, so you know one, make sure that you know when you've been hacked right and then you know certainly my pitch to the private sector is don't hide it, right? Don't hide it from your customers. If as a result of your hack, they've been hacked, don't hide it from the government. Come forward, establish those relationships um, earlier before the hacks. It's easy to sort of come forward and then work with the government on doing um, the remediation and then really work on and think through ahead of time the resiliency system as well. And then the last thing I'd say is we've talked a lot here about sort of maybe pure cyber intrusions. Um, But one thing that we see often is also this connection between insider threats and cyber intrusions coming from the outside. So an insider who implants malware uh, onto a system which then can be, you know, make the system be able to be accessed remotely. So think about the connection between those threats as well and how you protect against those threats together. A lot of companies, a lot of organizations have insider threat programs And they have cybersecurity programs, but those have to be woven very carefully, I think, together with the folks in charge of those talking and planning together uh, on that. So this is, I think, going to continue to be a very lively space for all of us.
0: You have a significant experience in private sector, most recently, uh, having served as vice president and assistant general counsel at the Boeing company. What key takeaways did you bring from the private sector to NSD in your return back in 2018?
3: from the private sector and from this job and other jobs in government. I mean, just really the, the perspective of how important it is for all of us to work together on these issues. Obviously, Boeing, like other, um, you know, defense contractors has a lot of experience, especially on the defense side, working closely with the U.S. government in that area of government contracts, including in the area of cybersecurity around government contractors. But in general, just the need for the private sector and the public sector to work together. And so a lot of what we do is, is, you know, working on sharing information. Many times the private sector notices an intrusion first, right, and they come to us and that's very important because then we can use our investigative tools to map out the, the scope of the intrusion and then to notify the other victims of that intrusion.
1: That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt of a panel from the Justice Department's Cyber Symposium where Justice Chief Information Officer Melinda Rogers sat down with John Demers, the Assistant Attorney General for National Security. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.